You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled For Christ's Sake. Hello my radio friends. Thank you for joining me today for another program in the series Give Me the Bible. When Jesus preached his best-known and best-loved sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke about how believers would be blessed. The tenth blessing seems to be uh, somewhat strange. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, is recorded what Jesus said. It was this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He then followed that up in verse 11 with a similar statement. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. For most of us, we'd find it hard to understand how when people mistreat others who are Christians, that is, followers of Christ, that that could be a blessing. As a Christian living in Australia, I've not been badly treated, although I am a Christian. Oh yes, there have been times when people have taken advantage of me and have disagreed with me, but have never been physically abusive. But then we need to realise that although Australia is a secular country, its laws and system of government are based on Christian principles of fairness and protection of the rights of individuals. Such is not the case in many countries, especially those dominated by Muslim culture and Sharia law. I'll share with you later in the program what treatment has been given to some people who believe and practice Christianity in some of those countries. Reaching back into history are stories of persecution and intolerance toward people who made Christ the centre of their lives. And today, I want to let you know of just a sample of what has happened to many faithful and true believers. Really, there are no good reasons for any dominant cultural group and or the dominant religious group to want to harm anyone only because they choose to differ from that dominant culture or religion. Christians are usually kind, gentle, law-abiding, respectful people who are willing to share the hope and peace they have with others. Much of the information I'll share with you today is from Fox's Book of Martyrs, the 1967 edition. The first Christian martyr was Jesus himself. The persecutors were the Jewish leaders. Most of them acted holy, although they were corrupt. They were afraid of losing their religion and their positions in Jewish society because Jesus had begun a peaceful religious revolution, teaching people about how to belong to the kingdom of God. With the assistance of the Romans, the Jewish leadership had Jesus murdered. 
by nailing his hands and feet to a T-shaped cross. The cross was then lifted up and dropped into a prepared hole. Bleeding and suffocating, after several hours of this inhumane torture, Jesus died. But the story does not end there. Unlike the other martyrs, Jesus rose from the dead and is now in heaven with God the Father, mediating for us. All the initial followers of Jesus, those known as the Apostles, except one, John, were martyred. According to what is known about them, here is what happened to some of them. The brother of John, James that is, was beheaded. Philip was scourged, that is, whipped and thrown into prison and then later was crucified. Matthew was killed with a halberd, a sword with a kind of axe head near the handle. So he was probably pierced and chopped to death. Andrew was crucified on an X-type cross, the sort represented on the flag of Scotland, St Andrew's cross. Peter was crucified on a cross, but apparently at his own request upside down. Thomas was thrust through by a spear. Bartholomew, who preached the gospel in several countries, and who translated Matthew's gospel into the language of India and taught the people there about Christ, was beaten and then crucified. It's interesting that following Christ and proclaiming the way of salvation has such a dramatic effect on other people. Jesus had something to say about that in Matthew 10, verses 34 to 39, and this is what he said. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus did not mean that Christians are troublemakers. But we should understand that where Christians share the gospel truth, there shall most likely be severe opposition, a sword, so to speak. Jesus also cautioned his followers that Christianity is a serious business. And unless you're prepared to give Jesus top priority, you are not worthy of him nor of the tremendous sacrifice he made for you. Most of us have never had to put up with extreme torture or persecution for the sake of Christ, but in the past, multi-millions have. I want to share with you just one case of torture inflicted on a faithful Protestant Christian believer. This happened in 1652 at the hands of the Spanish Inquisition, 
the agency of the Roman Church. And I quote from Fox's Book of Martyrs, pages 63 and 64. It says there, At the time of this particular torture, six executioners entered the room and stripped the man naked down to his drawers and laid him on his back on a kind of a stand elevated a few feet from the floor. The operation commenced by putting an iron collar around his neck and a ring on each foot which fastened him to the stand. His limbs thus being stretched out they wound two ropes around his thigh, which ropes being passed under the scaffold through holes made for that purpose, were drawn tight at the same instant of time by four of the men on a given signal. It's easy to conceive that the pains which immediately succeeded were intolerable. The ropes, which are of a small size, cut through the prisoner's flesh to the bone, making the blood to gush out at eight different places. As the prisoner persisted in not making any confession of what the inquisitors required, the ropes were drawn in this manner four times in succession. Then, straight after that, the prisoner's hands were tied together. Ropes were again pulled, dislocating both of the victim's shoulders. This was repeated three times. The non-compliant prisoner was then put in a prison cell to heal. But a mere two months later, he was taken to the torture room where his wrists were tied and by means of pulleys and ropes his abdominal area was flattened and his wrists and shoulders were dislocated. After another term in prison he was released but remained crippled and diseased for the rest of his life. Death would have been a relief, but this brave Christian man was prepared to undergo all that horrible torture rather than renounce that Jesus was his Saviour and rather than to accept and follow the traditions and practices of the Roman Church. Personally, I find it difficult to understand the motives of those who administer such barbarous treatment to someone who simply differed in beliefs to the dominant church of the day. Most of you would have heard of John Wesley, a Methodist preacher in England. Again and again he escaped death by a miracle from God. Once a man attacked him with an oaken stick but each time the blow was turned aside by an unseen hand. There were other times when Wesley was punched in the mouth and a stone hit him between the eyes. Such is the violence often levelled at Christians. Some of you may be aware of the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre in France, where for three days and nights Catholic extremists murdered thousands of innocent Protestants. No mercy was shown to gender or age. Babies were tossed from spear to spear. The Pope rejoiced and proclaimed a jubilee to celebrate the event, 
Yuck. But persecution of Christians continues. Currently, there are at least 50 countries in the world where there is religious persecution. And here's a list of the top 10. North Korea tops the list at 94 points. Christians and Christian missionaries are routinely imprisoned in labour camps. Afghanistan, 93 points. The government of this Muslim country does not recognise any of its citizens as Christian. Somalia, 91 points. The Catholic Bishop of Mogadishu has described it as not possible to be a Christian in Somalia. Sudan, 87 points. The Muslim government has slated Christian churches for demolition. Pakistan, 86 points. Christians and other non-Muslims sit on death row facing charges of blasphemy. Eritrea, 86 points. Only four religions are officially recognised. Sunni Islam and the Eritrean Orthodox, Roman Catholic and Evangelical Lutheran churches. Those belonging to other faiths are persecuted and even those of recognised faith are routinely harassed by the government. Libya, 86 points. The government is reportedly training militants to attack Coptic Christians. And number 10, Iraq, at 86 points. Iraqi Christians have yet to return to their homelands after expulsion by ISIS. We're going to stop here and have a little break. And I'll go on more with this straight afterwards.
Just before the break, I was reading some statistics about religious intolerance in 10 of the known 50 countries that do not accept Christianity in their country. And now I want to share with you a story, one of many, about religious persecution in these modern times. It should be noted that generally the persecutors are Muslims and the persecuted people are Christians. Islamic extremists from the Al-Shabaab militia vying for control in Somalia continued their campaign to rid the country of Christians, seeking out secret believers and publicly executing them. The extremists cut the throat of a Christian mother of four on January 7 on the outskirts of Mogadishu. Asha Mawewa, 36, was killed in Wabigli in front of villagers who came out of their homes as witnesses. She was survived by her children aged 12, 8, 6 and 4 and her husband who was not at home at the time she was apprehended. Others known to be killed by Al-Shabaab in 2011 were Gula Jama Mukhtar, beheaded on September 25, Juma Naradin Kamil, whose decapitated body was found on September 2, and 21-year-old Hassan Adawi Adam, shot on April 18. With estimates of Al-Shabaab's size ranging from 3,000 to 7,000, the insurgents seek to impose a strict version of Sharia, that is, Islamic law. But the government in Mogadishu fighting to retain control of the country treats Christians little better than the Al-Shabaab extremists do, while proclaiming himself a moderate. President Sheikh Sharif Sheikh Ahmed has embraced a version of Sharia that mandates the death penalty for those who leave Islam. Following the October 13 kidnapping of two Spanish aid workers from a refugee camp in Dadaab on the Kenyan border with Somalia and the kidnapping and murder of foreigners at tourist sites, Kenya, on October 16, began airstrikes on Al-Shabaab territory in southern Somalia. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 29, is something that was written by the Apostle Paul. He said, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he said, For you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And this theme has been taken up by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, verses 20 to 24, where he says, When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. But to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He who committed no sin nor deceit was found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him, God the Father, who judges righteously. Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the cross, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. What Peter said can be summarized this way. Jesus suffered terribly in many ways to save us from our sins. Therefore, out of love and respect for him, we too should be prepared to suffer. Put in modern vernacular, it's like this. If something or someone is worth living for, or it, they, or it, is worth dying for. The Apostle Paul explained his own attitude in regard to his living for Christ's sake. Here's what he said. It's recorded in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. What things were gained to me, these I've counted for loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for who I have suffered loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Now Paul did not say this glibly. He really meant it. As he forsook his wealth, his education, his high status in Jewish society, his comfortable life, his influential friends, his pleasures, all for the sake of Jesus. Tradition has it that Paul too was eventually martyred by the Romans who cut off his head. Paul believed and accepted that Jesus was worth living for, so he was worth dying for. Jesus was aware that he, the Lord, would be the reason for a great division between people in the world. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9 and verse 39, he stated, My presence in this world makes people decide either for me or against me. Later, as recorded when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, he said, When you claim to see and understand things and still refuse the truth, then you're guilty. So the question is, what are you prepared to do for the sake of Christ? It may not ju just be persecution, hardship or suffering that you need to endure. When you read your Bible and become aware of what you must do, are you prepared to do it for Jesus? Take for example this. Many of you know that Sunday was never authorised or commanded by God to be the Sabbath, the day of worship and rest. God himself set aside the seventh day of the week to worship and rest, and God never changed nor revoked that law. Could it be that one of you says to yourself, Ah, it doesn't matter. The Lord will understand if I worship him on another day. Or are you someone who says, Yes, I know what the Lord has said I must do. Therefore, for his sake I'll do it, even if I have to experience hardship. 
My friends, Christianity involves action, not just talk. You show your commitment to the Lord and your sincerity when you put your money where your mouth is. Jesus reiterated this in saying, If you love me, keep my commandments. Why don't you do what you know is right? Do it for Christ's sake. Well, we've come to the end and it's time to stop. I really hope you give serious consideration to this topic and make a decision to do what you know you should do, what you know to be right. Do it for Christ's sake. Until next time then, this is Len signing off and wishing you courage and peace, peace that comes with knowing you have done what is good and acceptable and right for Christ's sake.